What has happened, everybody? This is Ryan here for the Scale Up Show. Wanted to share this previous episode from like literally almost 200 episodes ago. However, it's one of my most famous and popular episodes with Myron Golden as he breaks in and talks about the psychology of scaling a business, scaling sales, and it's just a joy to be around. So you're going to love this episode. I enjoyed recording it. It was a lot of fun. Myron's a great dude. And check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest on with me today. I have Myron Golden. Myron is one of my absolute favorite people when it comes to speaking from the stage and completely dynamic with it, what he's doing over at Skillionaire Enterprises. Myron, welcome. Happy to have you on, man. Glad to be here, Ryan. Glad to be here. Always, always honored to be in your presence, my man. Ah, oh, such kind words. So why don't we do this? Like you have an absolutely stunning background in terms of your journey. But before we get there, can you give uh, just you, the listener, some background details on what you're doing now, what you're up to, and just kind of what your main focus is right now, man. Yeah. So what we're up to is empowering entrepreneurs with knowledge to scale their businesses um, 10, 12, 20, 50, 100 fold, which sounds crazy. Like when I say that, after I heard myself say it, I'm like, why are you saying those numbers? Well, because that's <laughs> what we do, right? And so... Um, like there are some principles that are simple, that are powerful, and will help any business scale if they will use them. And um, that's what I do. I coach people on that. I coach people to do four things. If you fix four things in your business, you can take your business from 10000 a month to 128000 a month in four moves. Or you can take your business from 100000 a month to $1.2 million a month in four moves. And uh, it just works every time because it's principles and principles don't care how old you are, how young you are, whether you're a man or a woman, black, white, old or young. It doesn't care. Principles don't care because all principles always work the same for everybody. So we just teach them the principles and let them go to work. So I'd be I'd be uh, a terrible, terrible host. And I know what you're going to say, but if I didn't have you walk through those principles, man. So can you share with that? Because we got SaaS founders listening. We got services founders, we got revenue leaders. And so I love for you to walk through it and share, share with what you're talking about. Yeah. So, so as, 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 as I've coached thousands of entrepreneurs, literally the number one common denominator in entrepreneurs that struggle is they don't make enough offers. And there are four types of offers that you've got to master if you want to take your business to the next level. So number one is lead generation offers. Number two is core product offers. Number three is premium value offers. And number four is continuity offers. Now, I said you can scale your business 12x in four moves or more than that in, in four moves. What are the four moves? Like if, you, if, you're, if you've got a business that's doing um, $10,000 a month right now and you've got a $1,000 offer and you're generating 100 leads a month and you're converting 10% of those leads. So 10% of 100 leads is 10 leads. If your core product is $1,000, 10 times 1,000 is 10,000 a month. How do we take that from 10,000 a month to 128,000 a month in four moves? Well, the first thing you do is you double the number of leads you generate. So if mm -hmm. you're generating 100 leads a month 
and you're doing 10% conversions, well, if you double the number of leads and everything else in your business stays the same, you fixed one thing, you made one of the moves and you've doubled your revenue because you just doubled the number of leads. Now, what's really cool is there are some simple, really super simple things people can do to generate more leads. And most businesses are terrible at generating leads, getting people to raise their hand and say, oh, I'd like to buy what you sell, um, or I'd like to know what you sell so I can buy it from you. Most businesses are terrible at getting people who already want to buy what they already want to sell to know that they sell it. Most businesses are terrible at that. So um, the, the number one thing that, that, that you have to do to like improve your lead generation is, is just move your leads in the proper direction, cold leads in the proper direction. So are, let me ask you a question, Ryan. Are there more people, more people in the world who know how you can help them or more people who don't know how you can help them? Oh, more that don't know how you can help them easily. Okay. Right. So the people that don't know how you can help them and they don't know that you can help them, we call that a cold audience, right? So right. there are more people in your cold audience than there are in your warm audience. There are more people in your cold audience than there are in your hot audience. So hot audience people are no people that know you can help them. They believe you can help them and they are willing to let you help them. Warm audience people are people, they know they have a problem. Um, they know you can help them and they are open to hearing what you have to say. Cold audiences, they don't know you exist. Uh, they don't know you can help them. If you told them you could help them, they wouldn't believe you. They're cold. They just don't trust you. So the one thing that you can do that'll change the game is move cold audience people in the right direction. What does that mean? Most people, when they advertise, they are attempting to move cold audience participants in the direction of toward pleasure. So they'll say, if, if they're weight loss, for instance, they'll say, they'll say uh, seven things you can do to lose seven pounds in seven days. And then anybody who doesn't know them is going to say, nah, that's, that's, that's baloney. That's not, that doesn't work. Right. And then so, um, or if they're in the make money niche, they'll say seven steps to seven figures. Well, there's nah, nobody knows seven steps to seven figures. And so they're moving, they're attempting to move people towards pleasure. But if you attempt to move people towards pleasure, if they don't know you, they don't trust you and they don't believe you. So never talk to a cold audience about a positive outcome. Instead, warn a cold audience about a negative outcome. So instead of saying seven, seven, seven steps to losing seven pounds in seven days, say, warning, the seven foods you should absolutely avoid unless you want weight to stick to you like glue. The seven, there are seven foods that will make weight stick to me like glue. What are they, right? So because people are more naturally negative than positive, when you are warning people about a negative outcome, they're more likely to believe you, right? Yeah, you said, no, um, I, you I love your adjectives street, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you were standing on a street corner with a sign that said, um, "That said this way to uh, follow this road," and there's a pot at the, of gold at the end of this road, right? People aren't going to believe that. But if you were standing on the same road and, and and said, "Don't go that way," the bridge is out. They would be. They would believe that. It's easier for people to believe something bad than it is for them to believe something good, right? It's just, it's programming, but anyway, it is what it is. So that's number one. So you double the number of leads. If you still keep a 10% conversion rate, you just took your business from 10,000 a month to 20,000 a month, right? Okay, so now what do you do? Well, the next thing you wanna do is you wanna figure out what your ideal customers are. Uh, no, you want your, your, you've got your core product offer, you're converting at 10%. So what would happen if instead of converting at 10%, you could convert at 20%? And by the way, most businesses could drastically and radically improve their sales conversions. 
the reason they're so bad at selling is, well, there are a bunch of reasons. So, <laughs> so I was going to say the reason they're so bad at selling is, but the reasons they are so bad at selling are number one, number one reason most people are terrible at selling is because they are trying to get people to buy. That is always a mistake because if you try to get them to buy, they're going to resist. So if you become more nonchalant about whether or not they say yes to your offer, if you disconnect yourself from the need for that person to say yes, if you remove your quote fear of rejection and just say, this is, I have this thing that's really, really good and it can help you. If you think it can help you buy it, if you don't think it can help you don't buy it. And if you totally disconnect from your need for them to buy, mm -hmm. the more they feel like you don't need them to buy, the more likely they are to buy the more they feel like you need them to buy, they think you're, they're helping you and the less likely they are to buy. So like, that's like, you can improve your conversions just by divorcing yourself from the need for a yes answer. That's one, I mean, that's just one. That's one thing you can do. The other thing is um, don't try to get people to buy, but instead create an environment that makes people feel like buying because human beings do things for one reason, one reason only, they do it because they feel like it. People who exercise, exercise because they feel like exercising because they, they like how exercising makes them feel when they're done, or they like how exercising makes them look when they're done. But people who work out, work out because they feel like it. People who don't work out, don't work out because they don't feel like it. So most people make the mistake in their own personal lives of trying to get themselves to do something, what they should do is figure out how can I create an environment that makes me feel like doing the thing I should do. And if you do that, then it works. Right. So, so give, when you're give me selling an example of that, can you give me an example of that Myron, real quick? Sure. Like, sure. So I'll deeper. give you a perfect, I'm going to give you a perfect example. Right. So I grew up, my, my parents were from the South. And um, so when I was growing up, um, we ate everything. I mean, we ate everything that came off of a hog all, for the most part, except the grunt, right? We ate all of it, right? <laughs> and then I found out how terrible pork is for you, right? So now, so, so like I found out that you can't cook pork at a high enough temperature to kill all the parasites in it and still have it be edible. Now I'm like, oh, right? I found out that a hog is in the animal kingdom, what a fly is in the insect kingdom. And I'm like, right? <laughs> and so, so now I, I've, I've painted a totally different picture of what this thing means. I've given it a whole new definition, right? And that new definition causes me to feel like, like, like I don't want pork touching anything that's gonna touch my food, right? So it's like shrimp, right? We used to, I used to, oh yeah, I love shrimp, right? Well, a shrimp is in the sea what a roach is on land, right? So now when I think of shrimp, I think of sea roaches. Well, now I don't feel like eating them, right? So the story we tell ourselves about a thing is the thing that gives us feelings about that thing. That's why it's so important when you're selling to tell stories that create emotions that people can relate to, right? And mm -hmm. so that's, so if I, if I tell myself, you know what, I've got a two-year-old granddaughter. If I say, you know what, if I don't work out like I'm supposed to and eat like I'm supposed to and drink plenty of water, you know what? I'm going to miss out on my granddaughter growing up because I'm 60 years old and she's two. I want to be there. I want to dance with my granddaughter at her wedding. Right. And so that makes me feel like working out. Whereas when I look at working out and I look at the way the equipment that I work out on 
and I think about all the reps and I think about getting on that rowing machine. I think about getting on that assault bike and I think about doing chin-ups and I think about getting on my total gym. That does not make me feel excited. But when I think about dancing with my granddaughter at her wedding, oh, I can work out like for days at a time, right? That's a so beautiful it's, it's, example. It's about, yeah. it's, a, it's, about, it's about reframing what what the activity means and which part of the activity you're going to focus on, which is amazing, by the way, Ryan, um, so, because it's impossible for anything to only be bad and it's impossible for anything to only be good. Mm-hmm. What does that yeah. mean? Well, have you ever seen a one-sided piece of bread? <laughs> no, no. What about I a one-sided not. piece of paper? Have you no, ever seen a one-sided, piece, one-sided coin? No, no, I haven't seen one-sided that. One-sided pancake? No. No. You know why? Why, why have you never seen any of those things? Why? Because they don't exist. Well, that's close. But it's <laughs> not because they don't exist. It's because they can't exist. Think about that. Not, it's not that they don't exist. They, it's impossible to have a one-sided piece of paper. If you have one side of the piece of paper, it has to have the other side, right? Which means, that's, but that's a law, right? That's the law of uh, polarity. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For every negative, there's a positive. For every positive, there's a negative. Now, here's what's really interesting about the law of polarity. You get the one you focus on. Right. And so what's really cool is when you are in a selling environment, if you want to increase the conversions of your sales, get people that you're selling to, to focus on all of the positive aspects of saying yes to your offer, or better yet, all of the positive aspects of how much better their life is going to be when they say yes to your offer and all of the things they are going to miss out on if they say no to your offer. Mm. See, most people who sell, you know, one of the reasons why they have a hard time selling Why? because they show people how much it costs to take advantage of their offer, but they don't show them how much, how much it costs if they don't. Like if you just show people how much it's going to cost them, if they say no to your offer, now you've increased the odds that they're going to say yes. So if you can take your percentages, your sales percentages from 10% to 20%, and you've already taken your leads from um, 100 to 200. So now you're generating 200 leads. If you're converting them at 20%, 20% of 200 is 40 sales at a thousand dollars. That's 40,000 a month. So you fix two things in your business and you quadrupled your re- revenue. Now that's exciting to me. Oh yeah. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's so simple. Right. So, so, and those are two of the moves and there are two more moves and I don't like, I don't want to turn this into a class <laughs> on how to do that, but but I'd be happy to share whatever you want me to share with the folks. So that's, but that's, those are the kinds of things that I teach entrepreneurs, which help people go like, you know, Josh and Wasi, right? They're in our mastermind, right? Yeah. Yeah. Josh, Josh and Wasi, when they, when they came to my challenge in May, they had, they did $10,000 in revenue that month. It was the worst month they had ever had. And then the next month through our coaching program, they did $60,000 in revenue the next month. They did 101,000 the next month. They did 150 the next month. Then they backed up to 80. And I think they had another month or two of 80. But then in December, they did $275,000 in revenue. Well, how did they do that? They did that because of those four moves. And they're it, like, so many people like don't understand. Like we know, we know the stuff we know, but the problem is oftentimes we allow the stuff we know to keep us from learning the stuff we don't know. Hmm. So, I, he hits on that a lot and you squared, which is a book you recommended me to read. About I love that book. The, um, it's the, I can't remember exactly what he calls it, but the trap of the familiar or what is it? 
Do you remember? Is it called the trap of the familiar or something like that? I think um, it is. I don't know. Let's just call it that. Let's call it the trap <laughs> okay. of the familiar. The trap of the familiar. So, cause like, I, I mean, I, I run into that all the time with, with companies that I work with too, where, you know, they, they, they place so much on, on what they know. And it's, it's, it's tough, man, because you're, you're kind of stuck between, okay, like grind through it and break through that wall. And people have seen things work, but then it's hard for them to disconnect and abandon that and go to a different model that right. they've never seen work before. So what's your advice on that? And how do you kind of approach that when you're working with entrepreneurs? Yeah, it's like what got you that you have to understand what got you here won't get you there. And by the way, not only what got you here won't get you there. Here's the reality. What got you here won't keep you here. Why? Because the world's changing too fast. Like, if you don't believe me, ask television. Television is scrambling to try to figure out how to stay ahead of YouTube, how to get ahead of YouTube, how to catch up with YouTube, right? They don't know how to do it. So what got you to where you are won't keep you to where you are. And so we get, like, we, our brains are so lazy. And what I mean by that is we love relegating things to our subconscious mind so we don't have to think about it because our brain uses so more energy than anything else in our body. And so the more things I can relegate to my subconscious, the more energy I can spare from having to use brain power to figure things out. So if I can just keep on doing what I've always done, then I can keep on producing the results I've always produced without having to use that much brain power. Well, but the only problem is if you keep doing what you've already done, the landscape is going to change, but you're still going to be going in the same direction. And when that happens, now you're going to be what I call stuck like Chuck in a pickup truck, right? You're going to be like, (laughs) Oh my goodness, how did I get here? Like so many other companies, like Amazon came along and all these mom and pop stores and all these different stores said like, Amazon is so terrible. They came and took all our business. They took all your business because you didn't change. So that's what I mean when I say you can't let what you know um, keep you from learning what you don't know. And what got you here won't get you to where you want to go. And it won't keep you where you are right now. Like you have to constantly be changing with the times. When I was, when I was a kid, like my brother, Mark said, uh, said this to me last week, you know, um, we used to collect green stamps. Now, I don't even know if you know what that means. Do you remember green stamps or was that like way before your time? I do, that was before my time, man. I, I don't know what <laughs> green stamps are, man. You're, so what, what are green, what are these, what are these, uh, these, these crazy things called green stamps that you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, green stamps were like, you'd get these books, these like green, st- every time you went to the grocery store, they'd give you green stamps as like a reward, right? Mm-hmm. And so you'd get these green stamp books and you'd fill up these green stamp books and then they'd have a green stamp catalog that once you got enough green stamps, you could redeem things from this green stamp catalog with your green stamps, right? <laughs> and I say green stamps now and you're like, what's a green stamp, right? It's like the Monopoly game of Jewel, right? It's like the same concept, right? Where they have you, they give you little stamps and if you fill up the Monopoly board, then you get big cash and prizes. It sounds kind of like. Oh, I see. I've never heard of that. I didn't know that people did that. Yeah. Like that. (laughs) We're teaching each other deep concepts right now. This is, this is earth shattering. So anyways, it's a monopoly. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) So go ahead. So green stamps, go ahead. But they don't exist anymore. I think about it. Groupon was like the biggest thing in the world for 15 minutes and now it doesn't exist. I mean, maybe it exists, but nobody cares. Right. How do you stay ahead of it? How do you stay ahead of it, man? Exactly. Well, you have to, you have to like, pay attention to it's kind of like um it's kind of like 
um, I forgot the greatest hockey player of all times. I forgot his name, but Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky. He said the thing that made me unique is everybody else was going to the where the puck was. I was going to where it was going to be. I was skating to where it was going to be. And so what we have to do in our entrepreneurial lives is we have to look at the landscape and see where it's going, and we have to get there before it gets there, so that we can be there, buckets in hand, ready to pick up all that prosperity when we get there, when when it gets there. So you you think about it. You think about people who have changed the world. Mm-hmm. They changed the world by creating something that the world didn't know they needed. Think about Steve Jobs. He created the iPhone. He didn't create the iPhone by having a focus group. And I, I love, I was just listening to the book Play Bigger recently. And the guy said, you know, if, if um, people who do focus groups, businesses do focus groups and listen to their customers and let their customers tell them what to create, the customers tell you that you want, that they want some, an improvement. But what the, what the marketplace really wants is some, what the marketplace needs is something different. And so if you're gonna, if you're gonna play at the highest level, you need to figure out what the new different thing is that the marketplace is gonna be screaming for when you create it, as opposed to giving them, as Henry Ford said, if I had to ask my customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how we keep from getting left behind. Think so about like- it. Um, Smith Corona should have owned the should have owned the computer industry. They own the typewriter industry, and then along comes the computer industry, and they get wiped out. Kodak should have owned the digital candy, camera industry, but along come digital cameras, and they get wiped out. Like the, the the automobile industry should have owned the airline industry, but the automobile industry thought they were in the business of manufacturing cars when they were really in the business of transportation. And see, you've got to look at the broader category of what you do and figure out how can I dominate this category, not how can I, how can I fit in this one little corner of this thing that already exists and be better than the guy who's down the street from me. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. Where do you see entrepreneurship going then? Like, I mean, like we got NFTs coming out, we got blockchain, we got, you know, I just had a guy talking about, you know, DAO, right? Distributed autonomous organizations. So what do you, where do you think it's going, man? Like what's, what direction are we headed in? It's going back to where it was when it started in the United States of America, especially. And what I, what I mean by that is, um, you know, at the turn of the century from 1899 to 1900, 90 to 95% of the people work for themselves and only 5% of people work for somebody else. Hmm. Right? And then over that, 100, that, over that decade from 19, 1900 to you know, 2000, most people started working for other people. Like people think that a job is normal. Um, I see just like we have the decentralization and the democratization of capital in Bitcoin or in cryptocurrency and NFTs, um, I think that the the 
um, COVID situation over the last couple of years has created a democratization and it hasn't created it, but it's intensified the democratization and decentralization of, of income generation. Mm-hmm. And all it did was really wake up, wake people up and help them realize, wow, I don't have to go to work every day. Like when they found that out, they're like, Oh snap. <laughs> and they figured out what else could I do? What else could I do? I, I've and everybody kept, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to pivot. I'm going to pivot. I'm going to pivot. And when they were saying they were pivoting, what they were really doing is they were slowing down long enough to think for the first time, maybe it, for some of them, for the first time in their lives. And they're like, wait a minute, there, there is another way. Hmm. Wonder what that way is. And so like the whole concept of think and grow rich, I think, I think the book would be even more impactful than it's been if it were think exclamation point <laughs> and grow rich. Right. Because the emphasis is on the thinking. And, and I, you've heard me say this before. I believe that people will work hard to maintain a state of physical diligence and work hard at something that's not working so that they can maintain a state of mental laziness. So they won't have to think about what would work. Right. If you th- think about that, people will work hard at what's not working so they don't have to think about what would work because now they've got to do something. Now you've got a choice to make. Right. And most people are just too uncomfortable being in the driver's seat of their own lives to make that choice. Well, yeah. And and I think you're dead on. And and by the time people are 30, I think it was, I read this, I think it was 30 or 34, 90% of your decisions on a day-to-day basis are automated. Just hard from your subconscious. Right. So it doesn't surprise me. It's like, once you get past that growth or development stage, majority of people just kind of go on autopilot. and I think that's one of the reasons why I resist so much having a daily routine because I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to just be running on autopilot. Like I want to be running on intention, intention, intention. There, like, like if you look at every aspect of our lives, I said, there's no, there's no such thing as a one-sided piece of paper. There's no such thing as a one-sided situation, right? If a person wants to make their life better, they have to learn how to be first, do second, and then they will have. Because, the, because having is the thing that most people want to do, then they focus on the having and they, then they try harder at the doing and then it doesn't work. And they say, this doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work for you. And the reason it doesn't work for you is because you've not yet become the person for whom it can work. And so, like, so the formula that God created in the beginning was be, do, have. Here's what that means. Don't be, can't do can't do, can't have. Be a little, do a little, do a little, have a little. Be a lot, do a lot. Do a <laughs> lot, have a lot. That's how it works. Now, here's what's interesting about that. There is a gap between who you are and who you could become, right? Mm-hmm. And what is that gap? Well, that gap is a gap in your identity. And what, what's, what's in that? Like, how do you fill that gap? By the way, the, the, the negative aspect of that gap is where you are right now. The positive aspect is where you could be, who you could be. Like, mm-hmm. this is who you are. This is who you could be. Well, how do you fill that gap? You, the only way to fill the gap in identity is with intentionality. You have to be intentional. And unfortunately, most people are not even, most people are not intentional for 3% of their lives. What do I mean by that? Mm-hmm. Most people only focus. When I say intentional, I mean focus. Most people only focus on distractions. What do I mean by that? Well, think about it. P 
people are very intent on making sure they get home in time to watch their favorite show. They want, they're very intent on making sure they don't miss their favorite team, right? On football, baseball, basketball, whatever, whatever, whatever team, right? And it's so interesting. Um, people say they'll, they'll get all bent out of shape about my team, my team, my team, and nobody on their team even knows they exist. It's a distraction. For most people, it's like, it's like an anesthetic. People focus on distractions to anesthetize themselves so they don't have to pay attention to the fact or they don't have to think about the fact that their life is not working. Well, true. If, if you, if you intend, but if instead, what if, what if you in, were intentional and said, okay, and you made a decision you said, okay, I am going to take my life to the next level so that my family can have the best experience of life they could possibly have while they're on this planet. So now I'm going to focus on making enough money to free up my time, making enough money to free up my spouse's time, uh, making enough money so we can support our children in a big way and get them the education they deserve and maybe travel around the world with our children as opposed to doing what everybody else does just because everybody else does it, right? It, like it would change everything about you if you did that. But most people say, well, you can't do that. No, 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 you can do it. But you, your programming makes you think you can't because people will never behave consistently in a way that's inconsistent with their programming, right? And so, so you fill the gap in your identity with intentionality. And if you will become more intentional about everything you, you do, like start, how do you become intentional? You take inventory of the things you're doing and ask, ask yourself, how many of those things am I doing on autopilot? How many of those things am I doing because my dad did them, because my mom did them, because this is what we've always done? And how many of those things am I doing because I decided I'm going to do this because when I do this, this way, it's going to make my life better. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, like we, I know we chatted a little bit before we jumped on about identity and, and that's something I've been very conscious of, like for myself. And I asked myself, like, why, like if, if something's preventing me from, from doing, like I told you, like, I didn't get the results I wanted last year. Right. I wanted a 10 X and I had, or a thousand X thousand percent growth. I had 300% growth. Right. Which isn't bad. Right. It's good, but it's not where I wanted to be. It's not what I lined up to do. And one of the key things to what you're talking about was like, I had some blocks in my identity of certain things that I didn't do that I needed to do consistently. And there's no one to blame, but me. Right. And I, cause I, but you got to like, stop and look like, wait a second. I'm like discounting that automatically. Why am I doing that? And mm -hmm. then you got to like, like recognize it and take the time to do that and be self-aware. Well, think about so. what you just said. You have to recognize it. See, you just said it. You have to recognize, think about it. Um, if you're going to reprogram something, what do you have to do? Well, first you have to recognize the programming that's going on right now. Then what do you have to do? You have to remove that program. Then what do you have to do? You have to replace it. Re so you recognize it, remove it, and then replace it. And that's how the process works. But guess what? Here's what it takes. Remember, I don't know if you, see, I don't really know how old you are. I think you're what, 36, 38? No, 39? dude, I'm like 44. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah good, I'm a little older than that. Thank you. Thank your parents next time you see them, right? Okay. <laughs> appreciate and, uh, the kind words. <laughs> yeah. Guys, so, keep going, man. So, so what's really interesting is um, if you think about it, so um, now I, I got distracted on my goofy comment. I forgot what I was going to say. Um, what was I talking about? You were, talk, you were talking about my age before that, but we were- Yeah, um, but before that. We were talking about identity and recognize- um, 
Re- recognize, reprogram, and replace. I think is what we're oh, talking yeah. about. Okay, yeah, that's what I was talking about. Yes. So, do you remember eighty eighty eight computers and eighty eighty sixes when we used to have Windows six point yeah. and Windows yeah. three point and all that? Okay, Terrible. remember how when the before you <laughs> upgraded your updated your software online, like you would have to go buy software to like upgrade to the next Windows, right? Yeah, and you're going like from Windows, like Windows, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, Windows XP from Windows 98 to Windows XP, right? What did you have to do? You had to go get on your computer, you had to remove the old operating system, and then you had to install the new one. And sometimes it took all night long. You turn it on, and then you go to bed, and it would remove the old software, and then replace, and it take all night long. So to reprogram yourself takes time. It's not gonna happen overnight in our this computer, because this computer is way more powerful than the computer on our desk, right? So it's gonna take time but it's so worth it. I'm so glad that I took the time to reprogram my computer so that it can produce the outcome. Check this out, Ryan. <laughs> tell me this, tell me this isn't a great concept. What if your mind is like one of the most powerful computers on earth? Mm-hmm. And what if, what if, your experience of life is a 3D printer. And what if your <laughs> mind, you programmed in your mind, your car, and then because of the programming you're running in your mind, you 3D, you 3D printed the exact car that's in your programming. And you 3D printed your house, and you 3D printed your wardrobe, and you 3D printed your bank account. And like literally, what if your mind is 3D printing everything around you? Because it is. <laughs> I love that, man. Isn't that wild? Yeah, that's cool. I like that. I didn't know where you were going with it. You, you kind of scared me a little bit at first. You, you made me excited. I didn't know what was happening. It was like, <laughs> it was like a carnival ride. So, uh, yeah, well, we're, we're just about up on time, my friend. So let me ask you a couple of fast fire questions because sure. I think you're, you're one of the most fascinating people I've ever met and you have an amazing oh, mind you. and I love to, love to learn from you and always hear your insights. So, we do a fast fire. So what, what's your, and I know you read a lot, man. You read a lot. You're a vivacious mm-hmm. learner. So what's your favorite book you've read over the past two years? Oh, the Bible. Well, that's like your favorite book you've read ever, right? Yeah, that's, ever, that's my favorite book I've read ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So other than the Bible, in addition to that. So let me in give addition, you another one. Yeah. Okay. In addition to that, favorite book in the last two years. Um, favorite book would be the Oracle by Rabbi uh, Jonathan Kahn, but my favorite business book in the last two years um, would probably be Oversubscribed by Daniel Priestley. Mm. That'd probably be my favorite business book in the last two years. I got to reread that. I read, I read it. I took notes. I need to so reread good. it. I need to read so it a couple of times. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, one, of, it's one of those. Yeah. It's one of those. Okay. So that's awesome. What's your favorite I know, it, podcast you listen to, or I know you don't really watch TV much at all. No. Um, um, favorite podcast, um, man, I got, I have a lot of podcasts that I like. Um, I love the, uh, rabbi Daniel Lappin show. He's a, he's a rabbi that teaches business based on the Bible. Rabbi Daniel Lappin. I love his podcast. Um, love Russell Brunson's podcast. It's really good. I love that. Um, yeah. I listen to it all the time. Yeah. Russell, Russell's podcast is fire. Um, I'm trying to think of who else's podcast I even listen to. I know I've got a bunch on my phone. Um, a- I've got so many podcasts on my phone that I don't even know what they all are. I'd have to pull them up <laughs> just to, uh, but I, and I listen to more audio books than I do podcast. 
because I can listen to an audio book faster than I can read. I read really, really slowly. Um, but I still read a lot, but like, I'm always listening to audiobooks because I'm in my car or I'm on a plane or I'm in the airport. Or I'm, I'm doing, yeah. So I'm listening to audio books two times speed and I get more out of it two times speed. I, if I had to, if I could, if I listened to an audio book one time speed, I wouldn't even be able to probably like, what is this person? Why is this person talking so slow? Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I amped it up. I did uh Alistair Mosey's trick and it was, it was really cool. Um, oh yeah. Where I read it while I was listening to it at listening the same time. It. And mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy, man. Cause like when you're reading it and you're listening to it, like I normally listen at one and a half speed, two X speed, depending on, mm-hmm. but when you're, when you're reading it while you're doing that, it seems slow. So I was like, it bumped me up to like three X speed when I was like, really? And reading. Yeah. Yeah. It's so wow. weird, but I, re- wow. I felt like I retained it good and sunk in deep that way. So, um, all right, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you were the one who told me about the almanac of, I can't remember the guy's name, Raval something. I can't, I can't even remember his name right now, but anyway, oh, you, but it wasn't you as Mark for Naval Harari or, or you, Naval, you Harari no, Naval, or Naval Revacant or something like oh, that. Oh no, it wasn't me. I know who you're talking it was Mark about. Firth. It was Mark Firth. Yeah. I think okay. it was Mark Firth that told me about that. Yeah. So, um, last, last but not least, you know, what's, what's your number one best piece of advice you give 20 year old Myron right now, knowing what you know. Oh, if I could go back and give myself some advice, I would say like, like play big faster. Like when I say play big faster, I mean like, really, you're going to go build a successful business, do it now. And it's so fascinating that a a lot of the skills that I have now, believe it or not, I had when I was 20, I I didn't have the ability to sell, but I had the ability, I had the ability because I didn't understand business, but I had the ability to persuade people and I had the ability to persuade crowds when I was 20. And I had public speaking skills when I was 20. Really? I just didn't, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to monetize it. And so, and I would not like, yeah, I would have told me to like, like you can, I would have told me that you can create wealth so much faster than you think you can. Like you could like literally 20 year old Myron could have been multimillionaire by 25. If I had known and had the, when I was 20, what I know now and had the perspectives that I have now. So the difference between where most people are, and where they could be does not lie in um, their potential. It lies in their perspective. Like they already, they have enough potential to be 10, a hundred, 500 times further than they are down the road in their life, but they don't have the perspective that they have that potential. And that's why they're not doing it. So they don't believe that they can. They don't believe that they can, but it's bigger than just believing that they can. They don't believe that they can. They don't, they don't know that they should. They don't think of the idea that even like attempt it doesn't cross their mind because it's outside the realm of what they perceive as normal. Hmm. Love that, man. So, well, well, so we're up on time, man. We're, and this is awesome. Myron, as always, um, you know, love, love what you put down, love the stories, love being a part of your mastermind. So where can people love find having you? you as a part of our mastermind? It's uh, great. Thanks, man. Where can people find you? Where can they learn more about um, you? And then I have a link for people to called scale up offers challenge for the make more offers challenge is something that you do, which is absolutely amazing. And I highly recommend it, but where, where can people find more about you and yeah. what you're doing? So what's really cool is uh, you can find me pretty much anywhere and everywhere. 
Um, Instagram is the best place to reach out to me, though. If you have something you want to say to me or something you want to ask me, I'm at Myron Golden. There are some fake ones on there, so it's just my name, M-Y-R-O-N-G-O-L-D-E-N. There's no dashes, no spaces, no underscores, no anything, just Myron Golden. Um, and on Instagram, on Facebook, my Facebook page is The Myron Golden, T-H-E, The Myron Golden. Um, and um, obviously, if you Google me, you're going to find me like everywhere. And um, but yeah, I like the scale up offers challenge.com. Like it'll change your life. If you are an entrepreneur, you will, it will be an experience unlike which you've anything you've ever had. So I went through it myself. It was awesome. So I'd highly recommend it. The link will be in the comments. So feel free to check it out. And I highly recommend that you do. Uh, not only is Byron highly, highly educational with, with what he teaches you, but he's highly entertaining with his perspective. So <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for being on, man. I appreciate you. It was a pleasure having you on the show. My pleasure, bro. My pleasure. Always. Anytime I can hang out with Ryan Staley, I'm all about it. <laughs> thanks, Byron. Thank you for checking out the scale up show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.